0: Today, of course, we find ourselves in the middle of a series of life events that challenge us, that test us, that um, can reveal the kind of faith that we have, or perhaps the kind of faith that we need. I'm thankful for the, just on a a side note, thankful for the wisdom uh, that our elders uh, have displayed in uh, postponing today the original plan to talk about our plan of work uh, for 2016. Uh, I think it wise that we put that off considering the events of the past few days and the events that are in front of us this week. Tonight, if the Lord wills, We assemble at 6 p.m. We're going to have a lesson from the 14th chapter of Matthew where we find uh, the disciples in a boat in the middle of a storm and how the Lord comes and calms the seas. And I hope there'll be some lessons in that that will help all of us as well as some lessons hopefully today that will help us as well from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah had a lot to say about the impending captivity that was coming to Judah. God's people were, at that time, not being faithful to God's will. And as discipline from God, they were going to be taken captive by the Babylonians. And the prophet Isaiah had a lot to say about that, but... He also had a lot to say about an eventual return from that captivity, and that eventually there would be blessings to be enjoyed and blessings to be received, not just in their physical return from that bondage, but also blessings that they would enjoy because of their coming Messiah, and that when He graced the earth, He would bring with Him untold spiritual riches In his kingdom. And so, in our text today, Isaiah is addressing God's people under that uh, circumstance as it pertained to their captivity and ultimate release. As I think about some spiritual applications to that, isn't it true that sometimes life can feel like captivity? Isn't it true that sometimes life can feel like it it has you chained? That it has you wrapped up? That instead of you being in control of your circumstances, that it seems more like our circumstances are controlling us. That the things that are happening to us are dictating everything. Everything. And that we lack the ability to do anything. At least anything that we feel like is productive. When you think about the different things that can happen in life that can seem to put us in, in chains. I think about things like people who feel like their, their, their marriage is falling apart, for example. And those circumstances can be such that it feels like the circumstances are controlling everything and that they don't really have control over what's happening. Or you might think about someone who is under a a suffocating uh, weight of financial debt that seems to affect everything in life. And that, that that situation is the controlling factor well we we also have to put into that category illness disease people that 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 face that that are dealing with that that sometimes it seems like that's the controlling factor that that's that's everything that is directing my existence sometimes we feel that way when we consider the moral implosion of our culture we think about how our our society on a spiritual level just seems to be getting farther and farther and farther away from biblical principles of ethics and morality. Peter, incidentally, spoke about Lot in that respect. In 2 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8, where Peter spoke about Lot tormenting his righteous soul every day because of what he was seeing in the areas of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so those things happened maybe maybe the consequences of your own personal bad choices in the past maybe they seem to be piling up so there are a lot of things that we could put into that category of things that happen to us in life that seem to have taken control and and put in cha- they put chains on us and we feel bound by them we feel like life has taken us captive If life has taken you captive today, may I encourage you to consider what Isaiah said, oh, those many years ago. When life takes me captive, number one, I might question. When life takes me captive, I might question. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 27 finds the prophet uttering these words, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. They were questioning They were considering their circumstances and this impending captivity and all the things that were going to be happening to them. And many of them were wondering where God was. And so they were asking, and and the prophet is asking, Why are you asking these questions, Israel? And the question they were asking was essentially, Where's God? Why is my way hidden from God? Why has my right been disregarded by Him? So while many of them were questioning where God was, they were asking that question because a lot of them were convinced of where God wasn't. They had convinced themselves that God was not with them. Wherever He may have been, He wasn't with them. And so they expressed it that way. My way is hidden from God. My way escapes His notice. My right has been disregarded by Him. justice has been passed over. Do you know what that sounds like today? In our language, in our vernacular, life isn't fair. That's what they were saying. Why has God hidden Himself from me? And why has justice, my right, been disregarded? Life's not fair, they said. These circumstances that are our lot, these circumstances that we have inherited, is not fair. Why has God allowed this to happen? Why hasn't He taken up my cause? When life takes you captive, you might question. But this questioning is a very human thing to do. God gave us the ability to reason. God created us with the ability to subject our circumstances to analysis. And so there's no sin In contemplating the will of God. There's no sin in looking at situations. And trying to assess them. And trying to determine what God's will may be. A lot of faithful individuals in the past. Had questions. Job had a lot of questions didn't he? The man that God described as being upright and blameless. He had a lot of questions about his own circumstances. Jeremiah the prophet had a lot of questions. Elijah the prophet had a lot of questions. Gideon wondered about what God was doing. Habakkuk the prophet wondered about what God was doing in in the world. David had questions. A lot of them expressed in the Psalms. There's no sin in contemplating God's will. Our caution, though, is that in our questioning, that we not allow those questions to lead us to charge God with having done wrong. But when life takes us captive, we're probably going to have some questions. Questions are okay. Number two. When life takes me captive, though I might question, I should... Remember. Though I might question, I should remember. Right after the prophet asks Israel, why why are you asking these questions about God's will and, and what he's doing, what he's not doing, where he is, where he isn't? Then the prophet turns back to them and says in verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. It's very easy for us to focus on the size and the number of our difficulties. Our task, however, is in those times to try to focus our attention more on the power and the presence of God. What the prophets said about God to the people, about God's nature, was not new information to them. When he began by saying, have you not heard? Have you not known? Well, the answer to that was yes, they had heard. Yes, they had known. This was not new information, but it was information that they needed to recall back to their minds. To allow these things to be that which governs their thoughts and their assessments of their situation. And so while, yes, when life takes me captive, I might question, it's also true that I ought to remember, I should call to mind certain things that I've known in the past, things that are often obscured by our circumstances. Sometimes the circumstances of life can affect our vision. I won't say more about that right now, because that's one of the points we're going to make tonight from Matthew 14. How the storms of life can affect what we see and can affect our ability to assess our circumstances accurately, but it's true that when we fail to remember the power and presence of God, and our focus becomes more on the difficulties and the the, the size of our problems that it affects. You know, it obscures reality. And so the prophet calls them back to these characteristics of God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? And then he speaks of the everlasting God, the eternal God. The Lord is everlasting. This same prophet would say concerning God, chapter 46, verse 10, That he declares the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done. The eternal nature of God. God is. And so, God not only understands what brought you to where you are, he sees the past, but God also knows what will bring you through it, he sees the future. He declares the end from the beginning. It's all the same to him because he's everlasting. We've talked about this in recent days. We've talked about the big picture and how God sees that. And so as the people in Isaiah 40 were trying to assess their situation, and they were wondering where God was and what God was doing and all that, the prophet says, think about who God is. And let that help guide you in your assessment of your circumstances. God's everlasting. God's eternal. And because God's eternal, He knows what your circumstances are. Because He knows what brought you to them. He knows what they are currently. And He knows what the future holds. And He knows how to bring you out of that. That's how the eternality of God becomes very practical for us. That it's not just a theological thought. It's not just some kind of deep study that has no bearing on life. When you study the nature and characteristics of God, you're studying how to get through life. Because God is eternal, He sees the big picture. And so, what may seem like to us inactivity may just be our inability to see it. God's eternal. We're not. God's people in Isaiah 40 were saying, where's God? Why is our cause hidden from Him? Why, why has justice gone by the wayside, disregarded? The prophet is telling them it's not that God is inactive, It's not that God doesn't care. The issue was not God's inactivity, but their simple inability to see it. We've got to leave that open for ourselves, too. That what at times may seem like God's inactivity may just simply be our inability to see His activity. He's everlasting, He's the Creator prophet mentions that too. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. God made everything that is. And I'm thankful that, that John in his prayer this morning mentioned the creative power of God. Because the prophet is essentially in, in pli- implying here that the power that God used as the creator is the power that is available for us that can see us through whatever captivity we face and can ultimately free us from it. He's the same God. His power is not diminished. He may choose and does in, the, in this day and time to exert that power in different ways than what He exerted it, say, in the first century with the miraculous and things like that. That's the same power. And because God is creator, and because God is eternal, those characteristics imply, too, that God doesn't wear out. And the prophet mentions that, too. He doesn't faint or grow weary. See, they were wondering whether or not God was gone. Where was He? Why wasn't He doing anything? The prophet reminds them, God doesn't wear out. God's not tired. God doesn't lose His strength. He doesn't lose His ability to help. And he's omniscient. His understanding is unsearchable. The end of verse 28 says he knows everything. He even knows the solution to your problem. He knows the the, the way out of your bondage and captivity. Whatever it is in your life that may be shackling you down, he knows the way out of it. And has the power to bring you out of it. And so our task is not to be so concerned with the nature and size of our obstacles that we fail to stand in awe of the nature and power of God. When David stood before Goliath, he didn't say, that guy is so big I can never beat him. David said, he is so big I can't miss him. David said, There's a God in Israel, and by his power, I'll defeat you. David wasn't as concerned about the size of his obstacle as he was impressed with the size of God. That's our task. When life takes you captive, you might question. You should remember. And number three, you must trust back to our text Isaiah 40 verses 30 and 31 he said even youth even young people will faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted youth is often uh, used as uh, used kind of metaphorically uh, in in the sense of strength right we talk about the strength of youth as our as our bodies um, get older they they wear out And so youth is often referred to in in that kind of figurative sense as as symbols of, of strength and vitality. And so he says, Even those that are associated with vitality and strength, they still may faint and fall utterly exhausted. But, verse 31, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The prophet had just mentioned how God does not tire. That God doesn't wear out. In a very similar way, the prophet says, neither will the person Who waits on the Lord. That word wait means to look with eager anticipation, to look hopefully. It reminds me of uh, the, the eager anticipation of a child who may realize that mom or dad is on the way home, and they've been told they're coming. And that child may stand at at the front door, at a front window, looking, looking out at the street to see when mom or dad or best friend or whoever it is is coming. And they wait there with eager anticipation, looking forward to the arrival of that one that they so want to see. That's this word, wait. They that wait on the Lord, they that look to Him with eager anticipation and hope, those that trust that He will act decisively in their best interest, the prophet says it's that person who will have his strength renewed. Life may take us captive and and take from us our, our strength, but if we will put our trust in God, that strength can be renewed. Renewed carries the idea of change. But note that God may not change the circumstances. But He will change weakness to strength that we might face the circumstances. Paul wanted his thorn in the flesh removed, right? 2 Corinthians 12. But God said, My grace is sufficient. Paul also wrote in 2 Timothy 4 verse 15, At my first defense, no one stood with me. All forsook me. Then he added, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me and delivered me. So the the obstacle may remain for a time, but God will renew our strength to face it. And so the one who waits on the Lord will renew strength, but also will ultimately ascend above the fray. He'll mount up with wings like eagles. He'll be able not only to walk, but even run through life, with endurance. The kind of endurance that can boggle the mind. And we have every reason for that kind of trust in God. Every reason. In Isaiah 49, verses 14 and 15, God tells them about that reason. But Zion said, this is Isaiah 49, 14, Zion said, Zion is is Jerusalem. This is representative of God's, God's people. Here's what they said. The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. That was their statement. Here's the response. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? It's a rhetorical question. Can a mother who has a young infant, young nursing infant, can that mother forget? Forget so much that she has no compassion on the son of her womb? Well, the answer to that is certainly not. God adds, even these may forget. Even under some strange, odd circumstance, it's still possible for a woman to actually do that, to forget. Does it happen often? No, it doesn't. But under even this may happen, he said. But here's what won't happen. I won't forget you. Christianity is a life that is based on trusting what we cannot see. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. We walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7 That's the Christian life. That's what Christianity is rooted in. Living life with a focus on things that are not seen. And trusting in those things. So don't let your inability to visibly see God make you think that he's not there. That's what the people in Isaiah 40 were thinking. Where's God? Why is he hidden from us? Why why has justice been disregarded? The prophet said, oh, God's there. And the same thing can be said of us. Yes. We can't visibly, physically see God. But in our everyday life, even some of the things that we consider some of the most mundane, commonplace things are actually God's reminders that He's there. The rising sun, the falling rain. Jesus said that's evidence of God's presence. Matthew five, forty-five. The changing seasons, Acts 14, 17, evidence of God's existence. You ever have a joyful heart? Psalm 4, verse 7 says that's God. That's God's gift to you. That's God's blessing. That's evidence that He's present in your life. What about the satisfaction of a job well done? You ever experienced that? Maybe in your work. Maybe around the house, something, you you engage in some activity and you experience that feeling of, a, of the sense of satisfaction for a job well done. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 2.24 says that's a gift from God. Do you realize that the presence, the existence of people who are in need, people who are sick, that the existence of those people are also evidence of God won't Jesus say in Matthew 25 and as much as you either did or did not to the least of these who were in need sick imprisoned in need of clo- all that you did it what or didn't do it what to me so the existence of, of people like that in, around us in our regular interactions with thats that's evidence of God's presence. Victories gained. 2 Timothy 4.17. All of those things are, are evidence that God is here. So don't let your inability to physically, visibly see Him make you think that He's not here and that He doesn't care. I don't know what captivity you may be facing now. But regardless of whatever its nature is, Whenever life takes you captive, you're going to question. But in your questioning, remember. Remember who God is. Remember what His nature means to your circumstances. And then trust. Place your confidence in Him. And it's only when we do that that we'll enjoy those blessings of increased strength, increased endurance, and ultimately being able to mount up with the wings of an eagle and fly that's release that's being unbound the captivity over may God help you and me to trust him above all things he's worthy of our trust and only by his strength Can we get through this life and make it victoriously into the next? If you've not yet put your confidence and your faith in Jesus Christ and had your sins washed away by His blood, you've got an opportunity to do that today. But you've got to take the step. Jesus has done all of the meritorious work, but you still have to accept the gift through your faith Your penitence, your confession, and your immersion. If we can help you complete your obedience to the gospel today, we invite you to allow us to give you that help. If you'd like to further study these things, let us know that and we'll study with you. Christian, how's your faith today? If it's weak, then admit that. Don't deny it. But once you've accepted the fact that it's weak, then I encourage you to go to the only place that's going to make it better. The only place that's going to make it stronger. And that's not in pushing away from God. It's not in blaming God. It's not in turning from God. The only way your faith is going to be stronger is by turning to God. Do that today. And if we may help you in some way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing together.